Today, today I want to speak on the subject, the gospel according to Judas. The gospel according to Judas. You see, each disciple has a testimony. Historians say that not all have been recorded, but anytime you walk with the Father, you have a testimony. And today, I want to challenge us to listen to the testimony of somebody who fell in the presence of God. It was 4.31 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Monday, January 17, 1999, when suddenly without warning, a moderate but very damaging earthquake with the magnitude of 6.7 struck the population of San Fernando Valley in northern Los Angeles. The death toll was 57, and more than 1,500 people were seriously injured. A few days after the earthquake, 9,000 homes and businesses were still without electricity. 27,000 without gas and more than 48,000 had little to no water. About 12,000 structures were damaged, leaving thousands temporarily homeless. The Northridge earthquake, as it was called, was the most damaging earthquake to strike the United States since 1906. As with most earthquakes, the Northridge earthquake happened along a fault line. Faults are cracks in the earth crust where rocks on either side of the cracks have moved. Most earthquakes are caused by a sudden jolt along a geographic fault. The faults are jolted because of the movement of the Earth's tectonic plates. The tremendous energy that is, relief, that is released creates shock waves, which results to violent shaking. Most faults are hard to detect because they are buried deep below the Earth's surface. While it may appear that most earthquakes happen suddenly, the conditions that cause them to typically occur takes place over a hundred years, and it takes nearly a hundred years to develop. Earthquakes, they are geographical phenomenons that cannot be predicted, controlled, or stopped. However, there is another type of earthquake that can be predicted, and most importantly, it can be prevented. The earthquake that I'm talking about is a moral earthquake. Like the natural earthquakes, moral earthquakes can happen along fault lines. Fault lines are the propensities and proclivities in which and within the heart that's given the right stimulus in the right conditions, it can cause a massive eruption of moral failure. Faults are defined as defects or imperfections. Needless to say that what defines us is not our faults, but how we bounce back. 
in life, many of us are going to have many fault lines in our lives that are going to create destructive outcomes and destructive contexts in our lives. Many of us wrestle with the idea of how can I better myself and get out of the fault lines. See, everybody is happy when things are going right and everybody's confident when things are in control and you are in control when things are calm. But the conversation that no one wants to have is what happens when I see myself getting enticed by the wrong things. But I have everything. I mean, I know God, but there is something that is within me that keeps pushing me into that something that I'm not supposed to have. I know you may be in control and this message may not be for you, but if you watch the news, you can see that we have real issues going on down here. You look online and you can see that people appear to be looking good and smelling good and acting as if everything is okay. But am I the only one that feels that I'm sitting at the table with Jesus with the secret? I know this message may not be for everybody, but some of us are in a dilemma. A dilemma of knowing God, but my allegiance is not fully to him. To know Christ, to see him, to walk with him, to experience him, to know that he cares, but for some reason, I know that I'll be the one who will sell him out. I know that I'll be the one to give up on him and to know that God has never given up on me, but to know that I'll be the one who will sell him out. Many of us wrestle with the idea of how can I sell out God when he is always available to me? But what if God was to give us an olive branch of peace and reconciliation? The question is, would you take it? I mean, what if God was to give you another chance at life, a life in which you were willing to throw away? Would you take it? What if God could offer you forgiveness to all the people that you hurt, to all the folk that you let down? Would you take it? God was to allow you to reconcile with the one individual that no longer exists in this world. Would you take it? I'm talking about getting it right today. Because too many of us come up in the Lord's church and we're playing church. And we have the nerve to take up the bread and the body and to walk out of here just as messed up as we came. I'm asking you a question today. Would you take it? In the text, we have a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. He is one of the original 12 disciples in which Jesus have chosen. Now, before you get too judgmental, before you roll your eyes and before you turn me off and before you begin to chew gum again. Let me help you out for just a little bit. Because if you dismiss Judas, you dismiss yourself. Before you stereotype Judas, 
Before you count them out, please allow me to plead this case. If you will, I'd like to make this podcast into a celestial courtroom. God as my judge and Jesus as our advocate. Your Honor, as we get started, I'd like to call Judas to the witness stand. Judas, can you please tell the court your full name? Yes, my name is Judas Iscariot. And Judas, what is your relationship with Jesus? And please be aware you are under oath this morning. My relationship with Jesus is one of the anointed prophetic calling. I walked alongside Jesus and the other 11. I had the power to heal and to cast out demons in Jesus' name. Now, Judas, if I'm right, Jesus called you, right? Yes, sir. And not the other way around. Yes, sir. See, like many of us, Jesus called us because we have faults. The faults to show us that the humanity can be redeemed. Now, Judas, would you say that Jesus understood your background for your human weakness? And please speak up so the court can hear you. Yes, Jesus knew all of our weaknesses, but still he picked me. Right? So can you tell the jury if he would pick you knowing you had a component to sin, why didn't you take the bread he offered when he offered it to you? You see, in St. John's Gospel, as Judas started to shift. See, he says, well, it all started in Luke's account. To be a matter of fact, it was Luke chapter 22, verse 3. I met a man by the name of Satan. And I can't explain it, but for some reason he got into my head and he knew that I love, I, 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 I mean, I liked it money. And for some reason, the love of money will make you do bad things. I was good before. I was real good with the counter. I graduated second in my class. Everybody knew me. I had the best internships at Citibank and Bank of America. I was good at that. But um, you see, Satan asked me to do an internship for him. I didn't know I was, he was doing some different things, some different types of stuff. But for some reason, I knew that Jesus would never check the treasury because he trusted me. See, and neither would the disciples because I wanted so much in life. I came from nothing. The Romans came and they took everything. The Romans, they taxed us out of our homes. They raised our rent and the rent on our properties. And for some reason, they redlined us out of our communities and they pushed us out. My mama lost a job. We lost our land because we couldn't pay for it. I mean, uh, and the jobs left and the schools shut down and our children, they were suffering in the streets and they started killing each other. And all of a sudden, our neighbor, neighborhoods was the result of gentrification. I mean, See, when I took the money, my intentions were sincere. You got to believe me, man. 
It hurts to live in our communities and 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 he's saving people that don't look like us. He was not true to his own people. Yes, I took the money. <laughs>